Welcome to Fanboy and the Hater, a podcast hosted and produced by Mike Hall and Jim Harris, where we discuss the best and worst in movies, TV, and pop culture, edited by Jim Harris, and music by Mike Hall. I can feel the electricity in the air with the excitement about today's episode. I'm actually going to let one of my favorite bands, Amana Marth, tell you exactly who it is that we're talking about. In case you couldn't understand, we're talking about Thor Odinson, protector of mankind. Jim, we are talking about the Marvel Comics character, the Mighty Thor. I'll admit right off the top, my knowledge of the character Thor comes entirely from the Marvel Cinematic Universe. So I know Thor comes from the comic books. I also am vaguely familiar with Norse mythology, that aspect of Thor. But in terms of actual superhero stuff, my knowledge is almost entirely comprised of the Marvel Cinematic Universe. So for me, I know that you had mentioned in the past, Mike, that Thor is one of your favorite characters, and that goes back to the comics. You're not talking about the movies, correct? Correct. I mean, he is one of my favorites in the movies as well, but the movies character Thor is very different than the comics character Thor. And I, I just picked up, I just really connected with, I really liked the character of Thor in the comic books. Now, I'll be the first to admit, I haven't read a lot of the comics, but I've read enough that he's definitely one of my favorites. So what is it specifically about the, the comic version of Thor that made him one of your favorites? When I was a kid, it, it was just the power level. I mean, Thor is just, I mean, he's a god. And he's one of those characters, um, similar kind of like Hulk, where, you know, bad guys will be fighting a group of, of heroes, and then Thor shows up, and the bad guys are like, okay, we give up. Yeah, Thor's here now. There's no way we're going to win. And, and that's just kind of how it goes. It's just that extreme power level. But then he also kind of brings in a very, very stern way to the world. Uh, everything depends on me and my actions attitude. I don't know why I felt that as a kid, but I just really connected with that. The idea of just taking responsibility for everything. And like he's even a character that, you know, if if he can't save everybody he just breaks down i mean because he feels the need he feels like he sh he has the power and he should be able to protect everybody and he feels that because he knows he is the future king of asgard so in the movies they they kind of turn him into a jokey character and that works great in the movies but in the books the only thing that was ever funny about him in the books was just his, I don't understand earth culture. So like every once in a while something would happen and, you know, he might say something or, or somebody might say something to him that he just doesn't understand and it becomes funny, but it's, he's not, he's not a funny person. He doesn't say things that are funny. The few non live action movie things I've seen of Thor come from animation. There's a couple of Avengers animation series where Thor is a character 
And that character in those uh, in that animation is a much more serious character than the way the character is portrayed in the movies. And I wondered if that, if that came if that was closer to how he is in the comic books. Yeah, that's that's a lot closer in the comic books. My first real introduction to the character since he comes from the Marvel Cinematic Universe was the first Thor movie, which was, I guess, a very abbreviated origin story for the character. It introduced us in the Marvel Cinematic Universe to Thor, but it also hinted at and kind of sped through a little bit of Thor's origin, like the aspect in that movie that Odin felt that Thor needed to be taught a lesson of humility and that he wasn't worthy yet and he punishes him by sending him to earth but that's done in a a different in a much more dramatic way I guess in the comics in fact one of the things that I read about which was only alluded to as a joke in the movie is the uh, persona of Donald Blake can you explain a little bit about that? Yeah, so in, in the movie, he gets thrown to Earth because he's not worthy. He no longer has the powers of Thor. The hammer's also thrown to Earth, and he's trying to find it. Well, in the books, it, it's very similar. Odin finds he's not worthy anymore. He wants to teach him humility, so he sends him to Earth. But he sends him to Earth as if he's a mortal with no memory of being Asgardian. So he's on Earth, he becomes a medical student, Donald Blake, who, while on a trip to Norway, um, some becomes, I think it was like under attack or something like that, and he goes to hide in a cave, and he finds Mjolnir, Thor's hammer, but it doesn't look like Thor's hammer. It looks like a walking stick. And so he picks it up, and he's looking at it, and then at one point he, he slams it onto the ground, and then it becomes Mjolnir, and he becomes Thor. So the ongoing thing is he's got then the dual personalities, he hits the hammer on the ground, and he be- go- turns back into Donald Blake, who is actually somewhat physically handicapped, so he like walks with a limp and stuff. Uh, becomes a doctor, and that's how he works with Jane Foster and stuff like that. And in the comics, I think that's also the whole idea of, of his connection to or affinity with humanity, not just his love of Jane Foster, Well, came from the whole Donald Blake story. Somewhat, but also his, his actual mother is Gaia. Mother right, Earth. the Earth goddess, yeah. the mother, the goddess of Earth. Right, so that that is actually his natural connection with Earth, and that's also kind of why he has the power over storms. Oh, his his affinity from Earth, his affinity for Earth comes because Gaia is his mother. Yeah, yeah. So it's a natural connection with Earth, and I don't think that that's ever touched upon in the movies. Not even a little bit, because they actually they they say that Freya is his mother, which I mean Freya is basically his, raised him as if his mother in the books as well, but she's not actually his mother. And they, in the movies, they say that she's actually his mother. Right. Yeah. She's his adopted mother or stepmother in the comics, but it's never mentioned or or differentiated that she's not his actual biological mother in movies. Sorry, I said Freya. Frigga is what they call her. Yes. Frigga. I was about to say Freya is a different Norse God. (laughs) No, it's just different names for the same. Oh, is Freya and Frigga the same thing? Yeah, she's all of the Norse gods like that. Um, they've got like five or six different names. It, it kind of depend, depended on what region you were in. Okay. Like Odin had like five names too. Um, a- actually, that's quick side tangent. That's actually where we get most of our days of the week is actually from North mythology. Thursday is from Thor's day. And then uh, one of Odin's name is actually Woden. So Wednesday is actually com- comes from Woden's day. 
Tuesday is from Tears Day, which Tears is another one of Odin's brothers. So yeah, Freya, uh, another name is Frey, and that's Friday. So that origin story is a, a little bit different. It also seemed rather interesting to me, especially the part where you said that he has um, amnesia. So he's not just sent to Earth and uh, stripped of his powers. He doesn't even know that he's Thor. Right. And theoretically, I believe, I mean, he'd lived for years as a mortal, not knowing that he was Thor until he found that walking stick hammer. Yeah, I, mean, I don't know. Maybe that just would have been too long, a, a long way around for an origin story for the character in the movies. But that seemed like it would have been a bit more interesting we could have met him as just sort of like a regular person yeah and not known who he was and then he finds the the staff and hits the ground and transforms into thor i think that might have been a, a more interesting way to meet the character but maybe that was just too long of an arc for a movie maybe and, and it also kind of creates an interesting like love triangle type thing because donald blake slash thor is in love with jane foster but jane foster only loves thor and not donald blake and Kind of like the Superman Lois Lane thing. I was I was just about to go there. I was like, it, Thor for me, the Thor Jane Foster thing seemed a lot to me like Superman Lois Lane. It also seemed a lot to be like Thor is kind of like, it's a bad comparison, but based on like some of the things you described earlier, Thor seems to be like the Superman of Marvel because you had said earlier that when Thor shows up, the battle's over because he's just so powerful. He shows up, he can just take care of whatever the threat is and you and reese in our superman episode had made a similar remark about why it's difficult to write stories for superman or, or to include superman in ensemble stories like the justice league because he's just so incredibly powerful on his own he kind of like dominates the story yeah and, and kind of similar it's kind of hard to write interesting stories for thor without bringing a lot in but that's actually another really cool thing that I really like about what they did with Thor in the comic books is they actually brought a lot of the mythology over and kind of just retold some of the mythology stories or at least brought the characters over and used them because then that kind of puts them on equal territory a little bit. And actually, interesting, I actually just read it this morning a little bit. So Thor for the comic books was created. You got to put Stan Lee's name in it because he was a part of it, but really it was Jack Kirby. Uh, doing that, and then later, uh, Larry Lieber was part of it as well. But Jack Kirby actually had originally created the Thor character for DC before coming back and, and using him with Marvel. So that would have been really interesting to watch, you know, Superman and Thor fight, because that's been theorized in a lot of times, because some of, it's kind of one of those things of, you know, they say in the movies, magic is science you don't understand. Well, Superman is susceptible to magic. Thor's power is granted to him by the enchantment, magical enchantment on Mjolnir. So Thor's power is magical. So theoretically, Thor would be able to just mop the floor with Superman. Well, isn't that only one aspect of Thor's powers? I mean, yeah, the, Mjolnir gives him control over the weather and nope. lets him call lightning and stuff like that. But isn't he like even in and of himself? Doesn't he just possess like super strength and super speed? Yeah. Kind of like Superman? Or does it all come from the hammer? Well, that's all his. But then you got to remember what the enchantment is. The enchantment is whomever holds this hammer, if he be worthy, shall possess the power of Thor. So basically... Odin took Thor's power and put it into the hammer, more or less. So then whoever holds the hammer has the power of Thor. Now, was that, not to jump ahead, but was that 
not retcon, but was that changed in the movie? Because I remember in, in Ragnarok, he loses his hammer. And in a crucial scene in the movie, he has sort of a spirit quest thing with Odin. And Odin basically says, yo, your power never came from your hammer. It just helped you focus it. Is that a complete departure from the comics? Not necessarily. I, th- I think part of it, I-, I think kind of what they did there was, oh, the, tham- the hammer doesn't exist and the power's back within you. That's kind of how I took that because then nobody would be Thor anymore. There has to be a Thor. But they've also kind of multiple on multiple occasions, somebody proved themselves worthy to hold the hammer so they create another hammer with a similar enchantment and give it to that person. So then there's multiple Thors. Actually, a group they call the Thor Corps, multiple people with the powers of Thor. Not to jump around a bit, sorry. I mean, I do want to come back to the personality differences, but just because we're talking about Mjolnir, this was one of the other things that, again, my remarks are coming completely from research. I have no knowledge of the comic books. I was just doing some research to prepare for this podcast, and I noticed that some people were complaining that, that Mjolnir actually has more power than what has been demonstrated in the movies, that it can do things like warp reality, uh, let him teleport, it has apparently this incredibly strong attack called God Blast that's supposed to be even more powerful than just throwing lightning. And none of those things have really been seen in the movies. He just basically, it, it, it's power to give him the ability to fly is shown and him you know, hitting people with it just as a regular weapon and then you know, summoning lightning with it has been shown a lot. Right. But people have said that it has more power than that, but we just haven't seen it. Yeah, in the movies they kind of u- he uses it to summon the Bifrost, and actually they they showed it in uh, when he got Stormbreaker and he kind of teleported uh, Endgame. Yes. Yep. That's that that was the power that he had with with the hammer. Yes. And instead of summoning the Bifrost, he could just kind of teleport there. And actually, originally his flight was actually you notice he kind of swings his hammer around in a circle and then kind of half throws it and then flies. Well, what it actually was in the books initially was he was literally throwing his hammer and then just holding on to it. So he was literally just kind of throwing himself. And then if he needed to change directions, he would have to throw it another direction. And then they kind of changed that into just being able to fly. There's also kind of mental link with the hammer. So you notice like he can throw the hammer and then it comes back to him when he calls it. There's actually a very interesting thing. When later in the books, uh, it was a few years ago, when uh, Jane Foster actually picked up the hammer and became Thor, there was a one point where he was watching her with his power fighting a big group of enemies, and she threw the hammer, and then all of a sudden it started circling her and just like going from person to person like in a circular fashion, just around and around and around, hitting everybody. And Thor just looks and goes, wow, I never thought about doing that. And it just kind of shows like there's there's so much more to the hammer that's possible. It's just a matter of understanding it and knowing what you can do with it. So a, a lot of that, like the like you said, the god blast and stuff like that. And if they did that all the time, that would just overpower everything. So they kind of make it so it's like exhausting and you know drains power or something like that. But again, with comic books, they've got to they've got to keep upping the the stakes and adding new things to it. Otherwise, it becomes bland. Kind of like Superman. He keeps getting new powers all the time. Yeah, the other thing that has been used to great effect in the movies is the you know, the inability to lift uh, the hammer if you're not worthy has been used to great effect. Like, he uses it to, like, pin down Loki mm-hmm. in one of the movies. He uses it to, like, pin down 
the dragon of Sorter uh, at one point. So it is useful that idea that you can't pick it up if you're not worthy. And if it's like put on top of you, it like weighs you down and he's used it to pin people down, which has been a cool effect that they've used as the other aspect of the hammer, I guess, is to acknowledge that part of it that they have shown in the movies. That and that really cool meme, if you haven't seen it, where Spider-Man is really has to go to the bathroom, but Thor put his hammer on top of the toilet seat. <laughs> or the scene in like Ragnarok where he, it's not the pinning down thing, but the, the hammer returning to his hand, he throws when Loki is pretending to be Odin, and he throws the hammer away from him, and then he stands behind Loki and just holds him in front of him. It's like, the hammer's going to come right back to me. Right. <laughs> and then Loki, I yield, and he steps out of the way before he gets smashed by, by Mjolnir. So they have used the hammer to, to good effect. Yeah, and they did jokes with it, too, like when he hung it up on the coat rack. Yeah, that was funny in, in one of the other movies. It's like, shouldn't the coat rack have fallen down? <laughs> well, that's the thing is the hammer really isn't actually that heavy. It's just nobody can lift it unless they're worthy. Ah, okay. So was, again, not to jump around, sorry, but was the destruction of the hammer in Ragnarok, was that a departure from the comics as well? No. Was the hammer supposed to be destroyed? Actually, the hammer was destroyed at one part, and that's actually something that I really expected them to come back, and they might still, actually. I don't know if I want to spoil it for anybody, but I guess if you're a comic book fan, you already know. And I don't know if they'll do it exactly this way or not. But yeah, the, the hammer was destroyed at one point in the books. It was actually Doctor Strange magically put it back together. In the previews, after the you know they show the hammer getting broken, and then they show him talking to Doctor Strange, I really thought that's what they were doing with it. Apparently not. He went and got Stormbreaker instead, which is not even his hammer. But I guess they're kind of pulling from the Ultimate Universe, and he did use that in the Ultimate Universe. Oh, maybe Doctor Strange will put the hammer back together for Jane Foster to pick it up to become Thor in Love and Thunder. We don't know. That could be. So then we get two Thors. So, yeah, we're not sure what's going to happen there. So I'm just going back to, again to his powers and stuff. If there's anything else other than... Well, there is, there is uh, something else that they actually don't really talk about hardly ever. And that's actually... Uh, he, he has a magical belt that actually doubles his strength. And they never really talk about that. The belt of strength. Yeah. Yes. Which is supposed to be like his second... Like Mjolnir is the one is, it, everyone views, but his second sort of magical item is... The Belt of Strength, which has never been in any of the movies. Yeah, and he also has like a really cool axe that it doesn't give him the power, like it doesn't have the powers of Mjolnir, but it still has like, I think it still comes back to him. But they kind of explore that. So there's a, a comics run called Unworthy Thor where uh, he doesn't have the hammer, so he goes back to using the axe. And since he can't fly anymore, he has to go back and use his, his goats in the chariot. Tooth Grinder, Tooth Nasher are the names of his goats. And they're magical goats that can fly. So basically they pull his chariot anywhere he needs to go. Did you find that in any of your research? Oh, yeah. I wasn't disappointed not to see that in the in the movies. I was just kind of looking at things. It's like, I wonder why they didn't do this or why they didn't do that in terms of... Well, they might still. There's still a lot of movies left. That's true. In my research about the creation of the character, you already talked about Jack Kirby and then Stan Lee was also involved and... Larry Lieber. I read that was interesting was that Stanley had created the Hulk first, and then he wanted to create someone who was as strong or stronger than the Hulk. And he's like, well, how do you do that? So he decided to create a god, to create um, a Norse god 
to rival that. So it was sort of interesting to me how Stanley was even thinking about that in terms of the strength comparison between Thor and Hulk, because we've seen that played up a little bit in some of the Avengers movies, and even in Thor Ragnarok, it jokes about who is the strongest Avenger, whether it's Hulk or Thor. Yeah, they fight a lot. They fight a lot. I mean, is Thor stronger than Hulk? Well, no, because Thor is the strongest there is. And there's there's really no maximum potential for uh, Hulk's strength. Hulk just kind of gets stronger as he gets angrier. So they keep fighting. He keeps getting stronger and stronger. But Thor has the intelligence level and has thousands of years of fighting experience. And that's something they, they, again, they don't really talk about it, especially in the movies. They don't talk about the level of fighting training that Thor has. He's been fighting wars against magical, huge beings for thousands of years. He understands war strategy. He understands a lot of different fighting styles. He just only really uses the brute strength fighting style because that's what really matches with the hammer. So, But if he doesn't have the hammer, he uses different types of fighting styles. So that's kind of the fun thing is Thor and Hulk like fighting each other because Thor can let loose a little bit on Hulk and vice versa. Hulk can let loose a little bit on Thor and Thor just, I mean, he's, he's a god. He heals up fast. You know, he can take that beating and get back up and keep coming. The other thing that made me think a little bit about the Hulk was, again, from my research, was apparently in the comics it was also uh, kind of like the berserker rage from Norse mythology, not just for gods, but for Norse warriors, that I guess Thor could enter something called the warrior's madness, where he goes into this like temporary stage, which increases his strength, but it has the unfortunate side effect that he may attack both friend and foe alike which kind of made me think of kind of like a Hulk-like rage where he's just like out of control. Similar, but that's actually not a power he has. That's actually like a, an affliction in Asgard where most people, if they go into that, they're killed. There was a, a run, and it's actually a really interesting run, where he, he actually goes into that and he just decimates Silver Surfer and Beta Ray Bill and Valkyrie, and they're, they're, they're trying to find a way to save him and pull him out of the warrior madness. It's actually a really interesting run. I suggest you read it. So do you think, just before I move on to, or go back to his personality before we leave his powers, do you like the way his powers have been portrayed in the movies? Because some of the people that I've read stuff online about complain that Thor is underpowered in the movies. I think they'll probably power him up a little bit more now that Captain Marvel's in, because they're going to have to have somebody that can kind of rival her. It never upset me. Like like I've said before, I kind of think of them as different characters. I kind of have to. Otherwise, I'll be upset with the movie version just simply because it's such a far detraction from the comic book version that I love. Is that more, though, the personality or the power? What is the thing that's the, the big discrepancy? Both. Why you see them as two different characters, both power and personality? Yeah, both. They, they underpower him and the personality. Like I said, they make him more jokey, less serious. You got to real. I mean, in the books... This is the guy, he's, he's the prince of Asgard who knows throughout his entire life he's going to end up being king of Asgard. And Asgard is, is kind of the, the ruling class of all nine realms. And he knows he's going to have to take over and lead this group of gods. And he, he struggles with, am I good enough? Am I smart enough for this? And then he's also always battling against Odin because he doesn't agree with the way that Odin does things. 
So, you know, he's fighting his father, he's disagreeing with his father, but he knows he's going to have to basically become his father. Yeah, and that gets compressed in the first Thor movie, the conflict between Odin and Thor. So they show it, but it doesn't get dwelled on very long. Everything happens very quickly in that movie. Well, and it happens, those conflicts happen a lot in the books. There's a lot of things where, you know, Odin was hiding something or doesn't tell him everything or you know, does something a certain way that Thor's like, that's that's going to create conflict that's not necessary. And he goes, but this is the way we do things, and they fight. And But Thor's always there for Asgard. Even if he doesn't agree with his father, he's still there for Asgard. So other than, like, the comedic element, which is definitely the most glaring, probably, difference between his personality in the comics versus the movies, are there any other aspects of his personality that are different in the comics? Uh, not that I can really think of off the top of my head. That's, I mean, that's a pretty big one. He doesn't take things as seriously as he normally does. I, I guess there's also just the size. I mean, Chris Hemsworth is huge, but he's not the size that Thor should be. I mean, Thor is almost the size of the Hulk. You know, you, you see him in the books, and he'll, he, you know, he flies down, he stands, and he's among all these people that are, you know, six foot six two, and they're only up to Thor's shoulders. The guy's just giant. Yeah, I know in the animation, I mean, I haven't seen the comic books, but in the animation, he's enormous. Right. And and that's part of the, the imposing figure. Like, everybody's just so scared of him when he comes in because, yeah, he's he's huge. He's incredibly powerful. There's there's almost no beating him without some magical way. And that's where you kind of get into some of his rogues gallery, and it's usually magic used against him. The other thing that seems, I don't know if this is from the comics or not, but one of the other aspects of his personality that seems to be played up uh, upon occasionally in the movies, at least, is he's at least early on in his movie run, he's shown as very arrogant and very like uh, entitled. Like in the first Thor movie, that's part of the reason he gets cast out by Odin. He's, he's kind of basically an entitled douchebag, basically, and he's very arrogant. It's like, yeah, I'm going to be king. Everybody worship me. I'm awesome. Is that not the way he is in the comics? Um, I think there's there's runs where he kind of gets that way, and then he's humbled again. He's not so much arrogant as confident. I know there's kind of a fine line there sometimes, but there's times where like you know he'll show up to somebody and you know they're they're doing bad things and or whatever, and he'll just look at him and go, "If you want to test your metal with the mighty Thor, I'm happy to oblige." And they're usually they're like, "Never mind, I'm good. I give up." But again, that's that's more of a confidence thing, not not really an arrogance thing. There's one other aspect I'll come back to in a second, but is there any other aspect about Thor from the comics that you wanted to call out or wished had been incorporated into the movies? Well, I just again, I really like how they pull in like his family members and like other other parts of the mythology and also actually open the door for other mythology as well. They brought in like Hercules and Ares, beings from other uh, religions or other mythologies. It really opened the door. And that's actually a really common thing throughout the books is actually uh, Thor and Hercules fighting each other because they'll fight each other kind of like Thor and Hulk do. But it also kind of creates a brotherhood between the two. They really understand each other, both being basically immortal gods, stronger than everybody else, major training and fighting and being able to defeat just about anybody. So it kind of they, they form a brotherhood there. And I think it's really interesting to see that and how they both, the relationships with their fathers, you know, fairly similar and they understand that. I, I just think that there's there's so much that happens in the books that I think it would be hard to translate it into the movies 
but also I think we're so stuck on movies having certain types of stories that they're just unwilling to adapt the stories from the books into the movies because they don't think it's going to work because they don't think it's going to connect to the audience. Once we start to talk about the movies, I was going to touch upon that a bit too because it seemed like they had an opportunity to make at least a few of the movies more dark, dramatic thrillers. And they seem to have basically settled on action comedy as a way that they wanted Thor to be portrayed in the Marvel Cinematic Universe. Yeah, I think, I mean, if they did the really serious Thor, then you'd have to have other characters be the the comedy. And then really because of the way the Thor character is and the way that people pay attention to movies, that would actually draw attention away from Thor and make the other characters more the main characters. I also know, as far as the actor is concerned, Chris Helmsworth is much more comfortable as a comedic performer. Oh, he's good at it. He's very good at it, and he really enjoys doing it, and that's why he's really liked that turn for the character in that direction because it plays to his strengths as an actor, and he likes to do it. Some people have criticized the before that shift happens, which happens most notably with Ragnarok, which we'll get to later, some people criticized his lack of range as a dramatic actor hurt the portrayal. But again, I'll, I'll get into that when we go through the, the specific movies, because that was one thing that popped into my mind as well. But before we leave that, the comic material, one of the things I was curious about is, is the North mythology thing that I only know a little bit about, not specifically to the character. And it's been a long time since I've delved into mythology. But one of the things that was, it was from Norse mythology. I, I, I'm not sure if this was done in the comics as well. The the cyclical nature of Ragnarok, meaning that it wasn't a, a singular event, that the Norse gods basically die and get reborn again. And it just keeps happening over and over again, as opposed to Ragnarok happens once and it's over and Asgard's destroyed. Was it done that way in the comics, or was the comics more like mythology? They did that in the in the comics. Um, and actually, it was a really interesting... I, I wish I remembered the, what the run was called, but there was a run where basically Ragnarok happened, all the gods died except for Thor, and then, you know, Thor is kind of wandering Earth alone because Asgard's gone, and, and he doesn't... He's the only god left. And then he finds out that the gods don't really die, they just become reborn... But then the reborn is human that don't know their gods, so he has to find them. And then they kind of recreate Asgard on Earth over Broxton, Oklahoma. So yeah, they did it really interestingly. And and every time, you know, a god dies, basically they just become reborn again as as a child or, you know, as a human. So there's actually a really interesting ongoing thing, too, where, you know, Loki's killed and then he comes back as a child. And they're, because he's not evil yet, he's a child, but he still has the power of Loki, and so, you know, what do you do with him? Do you try to train him to be better than he was? And then everybody's still kind of treating him like he's the old Loki. And so he's kind of struggling with, well, do I do I become my own person or do I just become who everybody expects me to be? Uh, it, there's just a lot of really interesting storylines with that. It seems like that would have been a more, I don't know, say more interesting thing, but that, that aspect of the mythology is just kind of, Ignored. I mean, I know, and it wasn't just Ragnarok. I mean, several of the writers and directors of of even the Thor standalone movies even have openly said that they had little to no interest in the comic book source material. 
in terms of how they wanted to portray Thor, especially with like Ragnarok. They were like, we don't care what the comics say. This is what we want to do. So it wasn't the the movies weren't I mean, it wasn't like they just made stuff up completely. But the the people who, who were behind the movies you know, openly admitted it's like we were not trying to be loyal to the comics or draw upon that source material or feel confined by that source material. They really wanted to make the character what they wanted to make the character, which is why I guess people who are, are a little bit more agitated is not the right word, but the people who are more disappointed by the fact that the movies are so much different than the comics, that might in part explain why. Yeah, yeah, and the, and actually that Ragnarok upset me more actually for what they did with the Hela character. And, and really, I mean, some of the other side characters as well as they you say that and it becomes very obvious in my head. It's like, oh, that's why they did what they did with the other characters because they don't really care about the source material. Yeah, the fact that like Hello wasn't their the firstborn and it wasn't uh, their sister. They basically, yeah, they did change her origin story completely for Ragnarok. Right. Yeah, in the comic books, Hell is actually Loki's daughter. Right, because Loki time traveled into the past. And, and had a daughter that became her, and she was the goddess of death, which as she was depicted in the movie. Yeah. But she wasn't, you know, the firstborn of Odin. Yeah, so the whole story that they gave her in that aspect was completely different in right. Ragnarok. Well, what they did is that there's actually a character named Angela, and they kind of adapted... Yeah, which was their actual sister. Yeah, so they kind of adapted that story and turned it into Hela because Queen of Hell is a little bit more interesting than, hey, look at this beautiful blonde character that's Thor's sister. I can understand why they made some some changes to it, but I also can understand why people who like the comic books were not happy with the changes that they right. made. And again, going back to the thing we had just mentioned before, the making Ragnarok a, a singular event, and and then it's it's over, and then all of those characters are dead and gone. Well, and the one thing that that makes them limited in the movies now, though, is one of the ongoing things uh, in the books is. Hello really, really wants Thor in hell. That's one L hell, not two L hells. They're, they're different hells. Really wants Thor's essence in hell because then that would grow her power and make her one of the more dominant realms in the universe. So that's kind of an ongoing thing. She's always pushing, hoping, hoping to be able to pull Thor into her realm. But now they can't really do that. There's a lot of interesting stories where they have to like travel to hell and... You know, he's like, yeah, you can you can try to fight me, but you're not going to like the results, you know, that that kind of thing. And it's just it closes the door on a lot of interesting storylines that they did that. So let's transition to the movies. So I recently over the last couple of weeks rewatched all of the Thor standalone movies and most of the the Avengers movies. I, I, I like I watched the first Avengers movie because Loki was the bad guy and it had a Asgardian angle to it because it was pretty much right after the first Thor movie. So I thought that that was important. And I obviously know what happens in the other Avengers movies, but I watched them in order from the beginning. So the first Thor movie, I, I mean, I remember it being good, but I really enjoyed the the first Thor movie. The movie had a, a attempted or had a feel of a, a more of a mythic scale to it. I mean, obviously, the source material being based on North mythology, plus the notions of superheroes as gods has always been kind of in just a general illusion that happens in a lot of 
superhero material, but the fact that they're literally gods from Asgard was an interesting angle and what made it much more literal with that particular adaptation. The star power that was associated with the movie was also very impressive to me in terms of Kenneth Branagh was actually the director of the first Thor movie. And then you have Anthony Hopkins and Natalie Portman, Academy Award winning actors are in the movie. So it's like it had a pretty impressive style power behind it, both in terms of directors and in co-stars. So did you like the the first Thor movie? Yeah, I love the first Thor. And actually, they they get the character pretty right on that one, too. You notice he, he wasn't really funny in that one. He was very stoic and stern and, you know, didn't understand Earth customs and, and stuff like that. And he was... To me, I was like, that was almost the best they could ever do with that character in that first movie. And then they just kind of veered away from that. Yeah, he was very he was very serious. He was he was a bit of a dick in the first movie. Like going back to what I was saying earlier, he was very arrogant and very entitled. And that was sort of the lesson that uh, he needed to be taught. As his father says, Uh, he gets admonished by Odin at one point in the movie by telling him, you are a vain, greedy, cruel boy. Which Thor says, you are an old man and a fool. And then Odin says, you are unworthy and basically throws him to earth. So that aspect of it was much more serious, but again, more serious on the arrogance side of it. One of the things I found interesting on the rewatch of the movie, I mean, it wasn't the first time I had rewatched it. I don't know how many times I had seen the movie. So many of those Marvel movies all blend together for me. So I can't really remember how many times I've rewatched any of them. But I thought that... Ragnarok was one of the first times that comedy was used, but there was a lot of, not a lot, but there was a pretty good amount of comedy in the first Thor movie. But I think as you had mentioned before, it didn't come from the Thor character. It was wrapped around him. Like funny things happen around him. Well, that's why they brought in, what was her name, Kat Dennings? Yeah, she played Darcy. She was one of the comic relief characters in the movie. I mean, she is specifically a comic relief character, but there are other things that just happen funny, like when he gets hit by the car twice. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> funny things like that happen. He's not acting funny or saying something funny, but it's just sort of like slapstick funny that he gets hit by the especially the second time he gets hit by the car when she backs into him yeah <laughs> in the hospital driveway so i mean the movie had some funny moments to it it just was that the character wasn't funny and that was sort of the change that happened in the later movies especially when not to jump ahead but when you get to ragnarok the character is making jokes yeah yeah before that stuff around him was funny like you said or also the whole not understanding earth's customs and things leads to some funny interactions in the first Thor movie and, and in the Avengers movie and some of the other movies. But comedy was definitely a part of it. Like I had mentioned before, it's really an action comedy, and that has been the way that they've treated the character in the Marvel Cinematic Universe. Yeah, I, I'd meant to rewatch the movies, but I just never got around to it. Maybe you can answer, since you did recently rewatch it, maybe you can answer this to me. When Loki took over the Destroyer armor, was Loki still like, he himself like moving and reacting and stuff there's a weird scene where you don't see enough of it but there's like a couple of cutback scenes where he you see loki turn around and look behind him because thor is now fully thor and is behind the destroyer mm-hmm. so you see the destroyer turn around and they cut to loki and loki has turned around yeah 
But I don't think that there was enough of an implication. I mean, I think there was a strong implication that Loki was controlling the Destroyer. But I don't think that there were a lot of scenes that actually showed you, like, him fighting or something like that. Right. But that it was one, the big scene, the oh my god scene, where Thor is re-Thored, for lack of a better word. That causes, you know, the Destroyer and Loki to pivot and say, uh-oh. <laughs> yeah. But I don't know if there were any other show, anything else that let you know that he was controlling the Destroyer armor. Well, he was obviously controlling it, but that's not where I was going with that question. Oh, okay. I'm sorry. <laughs> what, were, what did you mean? Um, what, what did you mean? So in the books, the Destroyer armor, basically whoever's controlling it, their essence is pulled from, basically their soul pretty much, pulled from their body and put into the Destroyer armor. And so their body just basically becomes comatose. And so really, like, the only way to destroy, to stop the destroyer is to find the body and destroy the person. Oh, no, then that is not yeah, done. Yeah, that, that's what I was saying. That was kind of the one thing that I, I think I remember about that movie that kind of pulled me out of it a little bit, but it was easy to ignore. Yeah, yeah. Loki is fully conscious while in control of it, and they they defeat Destroyer on Earth without having to, like, go to Asgard and stop Loki there. Yeah, whereas it would have to be, like, basically you change bodies and become the destroyer so that's how like when that happens in the books basically they have to threaten loki's body and then loki has to transfer back to his own body to protect himself and that's about the only way to destroy it or to stop him just because i was looking at my notes the other funny scene that happened to thor again happened to him and was more his comedic reaction is when he gets tased is pretty funny oh yeah yeah so, I mean, he, he gets to act. Again, he's showing some comedic acting, but he's not, he's being serious. He just happens to be, he's actually surprised that he's even taken down by the taser. Right. And again, at that point, he's not fully, he doesn't have his full strength. Yeah. He shows, if you, if you really pay attention, he shows his ability to act quite a few times in that. It's just people don't discredit that because they're looking at the comedic things like, you know, the, the part where he's fighting his way through the shield agents to get to his hammer. And then the realization comes across his face that he can't lift it and he's not worthy. I mean, seriously, that was some pretty dramatic acting in that part for him. I think it's more the other movies, which we'll get to in a moment. I think I'll come back to that. I don't think it was that movie specifically that people were complaining about. Yeah. Well, people are going to complain about anything. Yeah, again, I don't, I don't want to jump. We're about to go to the next movies anyway. There were some things in the other Thor movies that were more, I think, at the source of what people were criticizing in terms of the lack of dramatic range. I don't think it was so much. The first Thor movie, I think, was generally well-liked. It was just the departure from the comic book material that bothered a few people. But I don't think, for the most part, that wasn't where people were directing their criticism of, right. of Chris Helmsworth that came later. Well, and if you're getting information from the internet, obviously most of what you're going to find is people just complaining about things. Cause that's what the internet's for. Well, this, in this action, it's I, I relied on the internet mostly for my comic book questions. This is getting into more. I I'm used to having conversations about the movies with lots of other people. So now we're starting to drift into, I'm not just relying on the internet. I've, I've heard this from other people, but again... You know other people? Not not very many. <laughs> again, I used to have money or more money so I could pay people to be my friend. Ah, gotcha. I'm still waiting for my checks. <laughs> I had written down that... Again, I remembered liking the movie, but I re the story of this movie is actually even better than I remember it being. But again, it had been a while since I had rewatched it. 
But yeah, I thought it was a, a really solid, the first Thor movie was a really solid movie. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I liked it a lot. Now, I then watched the first Avengers movie after that because it's almost like an immediate, I mean, in terms of its release, it came out almost immediately after the first Thor movie, I think the very next year. I also decided to watch that because Loki was basically the bad guy in the first Avengers movie, mm-hmm. which is where I wanted to kind of, I mean, he comes up a lot anyway, but do you like the the Loki character as he's portrayed in the cinematic universe? And is that very different from the comic books? The character's done well. Um, the only thing I don't really like about it is how pretty he is. Like, if you look in the books, Loki's really ugly. And I think that's, they kind of play off of that as like part of the outcastness. You know, everybody in Asgard's beautiful. And then you've got this ugly Loki character who's, you know, he's the god of mischief. And he's always kind of getting into trouble and, you know, stuff like that. And they, they kind of downplay that. You know, they made it seem like the two, they were brothers, like they were partners and everything. But kind of ongoing throughout, you know, in the books. Yeah, they were brothers. And there's actually a really good uh, animated movie. It's called Thor Tales of Asgard, I believe. That kind of shows them as kids before he has Mjolnir. And kind of they go on their first out of Asgard adventure. And it becomes pretty interesting. But anyways, they did well with it, but there's just little minor things that they kind of have to do to make it Hollywood. I mean, can you imagine if whoever, if they'd have cast somebody else for Loki and he wasn't pretty? I don't think it would have gone over nearly as well. I think most of the love for the Loki character is the fact that he's just so attractive. He's attractive and he's a charismatic actor and he carries that well into his performance, Tom Nicholson, right. that is. But what about, like, I was thinking more along the lines of, like, Loki's powers seem a little, I don't know, to me, underwhelming in the movies. Like, they don't, I mean, they show him with the power, using the power of illusion, but am I wrong? Didn't he have, like, more powerful magic in the comics? Like what? Couldn't he, like, do more things? They don't really see, we don't really see him do much other than illusion. Is that really his only power? Well, he also, like, create daggers and stuff like that. And he has, and, you know, he can fight. He just isn't as strong and can't fight quite like Thor. And a lot of power, he comes, like, he has artifacts that give him other powers. So that's kind of his big thing. So you got to remember, you know, he's the god of mischief. So illusion is pretty much his thing. He's got magic. He, he's almost like a natural Doctor Strange. That makes sense? Okay, I mean, because I, I thought, like, in the books, I thought he was more like, he had, like, telekinesis, uh, hypnosis, which they kind of had him do with the staff in the Avengers yeah. movie, but I think that was more something. I thought he could like kind of do that without the staff. Well, I could be wrong, but I think he uses different artifacts and spells and stuff to do that. It's not like a natural power that he can just do it. Ah, uh, okay. So like there is one where like he creates a potion um, that uh, lets him take over Hulk's body. Kind of like what they did with the destroyer armor. Stuff like that. Because I, I thought he also had sort of like magic power blast kind of like Scarlet Witch has in Avengers. Yeah, yeah. But that'd be kind of hard to do and explain in a movie. Okay. So but th- so that the relationship between Thor and Loki, do you think that that's portrayed well? Yeah, I think it's portrayed pretty well. I, I want to go back. You also got to think about Loki didn't really fight much in the movies. He used the staff a little bit, but otherwise he was having other people do stuff for him. He wasn't really doing much. Could he fight in the comics? Yeah, yeah. I mean, he's he's Asgardian. Like, he's 
and, and that's kind of they, they touch on it in the movies how he kind of thinks how that you know humans are ants, and that's because he's he's Asgard. I mean he's he is incredibly strong. He's not Thor level strong, but I mean he's definitely going to throw Captain America around like he's nothing. I mean, he has some level of strength. He's able to, like, not die from being beaten like a rag doll by the Hulk. Right, exactly. I mean, he's a god. He's hurt, <laughs> but he's not, like, broken and dead. Right, exactly. But they never really show him doing, other than he uses knives and stuff like that, but they never really show much of his combat skills in, in the movies. Right, exactly. But he never really got into one-on-one confrontation other than Hulk slamming him around a little bit. That's true. I mean, there wasn't really a place for him, at least the way that those movies were written, there wasn't really a place for him to start throwing magic bolts. Sure, I guess it really wasn't necessary either, so... Maybe maybe going forward. We'll see what happens in the Loki series. That's true. Yeah, things could be happening in the television series that might go more into that character. So back to the first Avengers movie, the, the difference in Thor, the character, he was noticeably more... Serious and mature and focused in the Avengers movie. Again, he's in the not in the background, but he's obviously a part of an ensemble cast in Avengers. So we don't spend as much time with him. Mm-hmm. But to me, he seemed uh, less arrogant uh, and more somber and reflective. In part because he felt bad or guilty that you know it was his brother Loki that was causing problems on Earth, mm-hmm. and therefore you know he was there as his responsibility to bring him back to Asgard as a prisoner. So he had a noticeably much more serious tone and more mature tone to him in that, which is kind of picking up from where he was at the end of the Thor movie, because again, the movie came out, I think, the very next year anyway. But there wasn't much, I guess, other than that. I mean, again, he's just one of many. And we did already talked a little bit before, that was also the first movie that they played around with the whole Hulk versus the Thor fight mm-hmm. uh, that happened in that movie. It was also, that entire movie also was sort of about all of the Avengers sizing each other up right. and having one-on-one, not all of them, but there were multiple times where they interacted with each other, Iron Man, Thor, Hulk, etc. Yeah, and I like how they, they kind of they broke out the uh, Thor hitting Captain America's shield and causing the, the big blast. They do that quite a bit in the books. Also, uh, Cap and Thor work together a lot more in the books or yeah. frequently in the books? Yeah, they, those, the big three, the Captain, Thor, and Iron Man, the way that they be kind of become the, the, <laughs> the trinity of Avengers, more or less, that, that's very similar to a lot of the books. Uh, the way they work together and respect each other and fight amongst each other a little bit like siblings. Yeah, it's pretty common. So the next, not the next appearance, but I, I may actually may even be the next appearance. I'm not sure. But the next standalone Thor movie was probably the only standalone movie I didn't like. It's not bad. I remembered it for some reason. I, I remembered it being worse than it was. I'm talking about Thor The Dark World. It was just kind of meh. Yeah, it's just it's just not really that interesting. Yeah, again, it's not a bad movie, but it's just kind of like it just never seems to rise up to it, it's attempting again the end of the the standalone Thor movies try to have more mythic storylines, which obviously makes sense given the character, but for whatever reason, the Dark World just never seemed to rise up to the interest level that it seemed like it could have had. You know, I blame Lord of the Rings. <laughs> and maybe it is. I mean, 
all of the movies that come out, superhero movies and, and other movies like that have definitely start to get us a little bit underwhelmed even by cool things that happen. I mean, because The Dark World, actually, there were quite a few cool effects and really impressive cinematography in the movie. But at that point, I think we're just underwhelmed by that in general because that stuff is in so many movies. Yeah. Well, I think I think also, like, like I said, I blame Lord of the Rings. There's been... People have an image of elves as being like really light and bright and, and happy and all this stuff. And then you bring in dark elves, and I don't think people really knew how to react to that. Well, they also, from Lord of the Rings, we see we think of elves as being good guys. That too. And uh, the dark elves were more like Orakai. I know you don't know what that means because you're not a Lord of the Rings fan. But yeah, the dark elves didn't bother me in any way. The only thing about the dark elves that kind of annoyed me was the speaking in Elvish. I mean, again, it it was necessary for the story, but like, it kind of un, it kind of downplayed it a little bit for me. Like, I could have, what I don't know, some taunting in English might have been helpful for me. <laughs> but uh, yeah, er, everything being in, in Elvish was a little bit. Um, How American of you that you expect everybody else to speak English. I know exactly. I mean, it's 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 not it, it's not incorrect for the character or for the story, but for some reason. It kind of under, I, I don't know. It, again, there's nothing about the movie that was bad. It's just nothing really was as cool as, as it maybe seemed it should have been. Uh, I had completely forgotten on a side note that Zachary Levi, <laughs> Zachary Levi was in the movie. <laughs> yeah, he, he uh, took over his fandral. <laughs> yeah, he he, timber, he replaced the previous actor who had played that character in the, the Thor original Thor movie. So it's like, oh, that was kind of fun to see him. I mean, he's in a small role, The Warriors 3. And Lady Sif are are in it again. They have a smaller role. I mean, they had a small role in the, in the first Thor movie as well. You you know, just because I brought them up. I mean, are those characters interesting in the comics as well? Lady Sif and the Warriors Three. Oh yeah, the Warriors Three are great. And that's actually I, if there's one thing about the Thor movies that actually does really upset me, it's the underplaying of the Warriors Three and that they're not a little bit more of a focus. They are a very interesting group and do a lot of really cool things. And they are actually, there's core storylines that revolve around them. Isn't there also, in addition to that, isn't there another character, Balder the Brave? Yep, that's Thor's brother. Oh, he's Thor's brother. I didn't know that. Yep. And he's been absent from the movies. Is he an interesting character in the comic? Oh, how do you define interesting? <laughs> <laughs> he's actually the seriousness of Thor. He's more the tactician of the brothers. And so in the books, it kind of gets to a point where, you know, Thor becomes king of Asgard. But at the same time, uh, so I don't remember what happened, but there's a little bit of distrust of Thor at the time. And he doesn't really want to be king. So he passes and actually uh, Balder becomes king of Asgard. And, you know, everybody agrees that Balder is just a better choice as king because he's just better mentally at being king. So that that's kind of his main role is... Basically, he's he's the leader of the brothers. Okay, gotcha. Again, this movie, the use of humor is present in this movie, though it's far more subtle and definitely largely relegated to the supporting characters. Not as in, it's intentionally not as comedic of a movie as the first Thor movie. Uh, again, it wasn't bad overall, but it, it still felt like a weaker film than yeah. the uh, first movie. And here was the first time that I heard people complaining a little bit about, and I didn't I didn't think about this when I saw the movie. Again, I just found the movie, I remember the movie being worse than it was. It's not. 
But even on the rewatch, it's just like, I can understand some of the criticism, but I didn't, it didn't make me think this at the time. Some people were criticizing, here was one of the areas of the lack of dramatic range. I think people were looking to see Chris Helmsworth be more emotive around the death of his mother and what he believed to be the death of his brother, although Loki faked his death, which we find out in a later movie. But the death of both his mother and brother didn't seem to affect him as much as people wanted to see it affect him. Fair enough. Um, I'm not sure I can really comment to that too much because I haven't watched it in a while. So I don't remember exactly how it goes. But And, and the other general criticism of a movie is it, it didn't seem to do much. And again, this is not my words. This is from critics saying that it didn't seem to do much in terms of the character development of Thor. He pretty much is the same throughout. And even though some dramatic events occur, again, like the death of his mother, most notably, it doesn't really seem to change his personality in any way or give him any type of added depth to his character. Yeah, and that's, you know, all that. They they, they dive into that more in later movies. Yeah, and, and that's one of the things I, I was going to come back to later. It, it almost seems like when I get to some of the later movies, it seems like they just sort of backloaded all of that because when we see him revisit the dark world in Endgame, he has a very emotional response to seeing his mother again. Right. I think there, there's kind of two parts to that. I, I think, A, there's just so much going on, he doesn't have time to really react to it in the movie because he's got to take care of things. I mean, he does get really angry, right? He kind of takes off after him when his mother dies, at least. Oh, yeah. He, he He's angry and goes after the dark elf that killed his mother. So, so yeah, what, it wasn't that. What, it... what do people expect? You've got this guy that he's extremely powerful. He's been a warrior his entire life, and he just watched his mother die. What do you think? You think he's just going to sit and cry and have a big dramatic moment? No, he's going to get extremely angry and go after who killed her. Come on. That's just that type of character. But also, that does actually kind of feed into the character itself. you got to think about, you know, this is a guy that he's thousands of years old. He's seen a lot of people live and die. He understands that that's, that's part of life. He always kind of keeps... He's a character that always tries to keep the brave face on. Like, he'll he'll say things like, you know, avert your eyes for I may shed a tear or something like that. You know, I'll deal with that emotion later. I got to focus on this now. You know, he's that type of character. They just don't really explain that or, or portray that all that well in the movies, I don't think. No, they, they really don't. Like, at one point later in, like, Infinity War, when he has a brief moment and he's talking with Rocket, he mentions that he's 1,500 years old. And he also talks about all of the things that have happened to him. Mm -hmm. And he's on the cusp of almost not breaking down, but kind of like in denial about like all of the emotions that should be crushing him at that point. But we have more to get through before we get to that part. So I think it's always just been there. It just might have been pushing it down. And then it kind of explodes when we get to see the his portrayal in Endgame, which is where... I would think would be the reverse of a criticism of him showing more dramatic range. But yeah, in this movie, I think people, I, I'm, not, I'm not sure if it was that. I, th I think the other thing that might be unfairly feeding into the criticism of that type of character development and range in the Marvel Cinematic Universe, I think they play much more of that with Cap and Iron Man. 
and they get to do not just because of civil war, but also just because of the things that happen to those characters. And maybe just because those guys are better actors. I don't know. But you see much more depth, especially with Captain America and emotional range with Chris Evans than you do with Chris Helmsworth. But again, maybe that's maybe that's part of where the criticism comes into. But that's is he's obviously not on the same level acting wise as Chris Evans and Robert Downey Jr. Well, I would argue we don't know that yet. But that's also part of the character. He doesn't show emotion like the other characters do. He, remember, he's old. Old people don't show emotion like that. Yeah, and again, but I think it comes back to, like you said, it's people looking at just the movies, the character that you're saying that the character is like that, that's because you know the character from the comic book. And I didn't really establish enough of that, maybe enough for people to see the character as a different character in the movies. And maybe that's why it's causing that unfair comparison. I don't know. Again, I think that kind of comes from also the inability to adapt directly from the comic book to a movie because critics like that, that expect these characters to be like every other character in every other movie. They don't expect a different type of personality. Yeah, they don't expect it, and they really didn't do enough. Like I, like I had said, I alluded to before, and I guess you can get, it comes up more, it came to my mind more when we got to Ragnarok, but they could have, I mean, most of, if not all, of the Marvel Cinematic Universe movies could just be called action comedies. If they wanted to, they could have deliberately made at least the standalone Thor movies more dark and dramatic. But they just decided that that's, either that that's not what the Marvel Cinematic Universe wanted to do or they didn't think that people would like that type of a character. But they could have. They could have, but it's less entertaining. I don't think it would have reached nearly as many people. That, that's what I'm saying. Like I, I, while I, I'm not, that's why I don't get upset about the changes they made to the character because I understand why they made those changes. If you were to directly adapt the Thor character to the movies from the comic books, he would only be able to be one of many in a movie. Like he could be in Avengers, but you wouldn't really be able to make a standalone multiple standalone Thor movies based off that character. It, they, it, they just wouldn't do as well. They, they would go by way of Suicide Squad. Or they would have to invest more in the supporting characters in the Thor standalone movies, which they wouldn't want to do because those characters aren't going to be major characters other than maybe arguably Loki since he comes up a lot. Right, and it, wouldn't, it would end up not a Thor movie. It would end up whoever the side character is movie. It would be more of like an Asgardian ensemble movie. Right. Which I guess the Thor standalone movies are supposed to focus on Thor as the character that we see in the Avengers movies. Although, again, that's not like every single character hasn't had that treatment. The easiest example is Hulk. <laughs> the Hulk standalone movie was a completely different actor. <laughs> right. And no one cares about that. So, I mean, all of the Hulk character developments all happens. Well... Pretty much within the Avengers movies and then in Ragnarok, Hulk was a character. So, And we haven't had standalone movies with the exception of the new Black Widow movie coming out. We haven't had standalone movies for every member of the Avengers. Right. But let's move on to, it's my favorite, and I think it's probably the best rated one in terms of standalone Thor movies. At least the ones that have come out so far. Thor Ragnarok which I just watched, I think, last night or the night before. It's definitely the most entertaining. It's the most entertaining movie, for sure. 
It's the most entertaining movie, which is probably why people like it so much. Did you like Ragnarok? Yeah, I did a lot. One of the things that I actually really liked about Ragnarok is actually they kind of hinted at some of those other characters. Like when they come in on the arena and they've got the statues of people, like the faces. Oh, Beta Ray Bill. You yeah, mean? you got Beta Ray Bill there. I think Ares was there. I can't remember who else was there, but there's a couple other main characters too that were there that are in main Thor storylines at least. So yeah, that I just the somewhat hint at a possible <laughs> addition of those characters, I think is is great. Or, or at least a, a brief acknowledgement of the wider yeah. comic book universe. Right. And, and possible, you know, they may bring those characters in later. But also, I really like that they, they somewhat, I, I like and didn't like at the same time that they adapted Planet Hulk into that storyline, which was really cool to see. But then they took one of Hulk's best storylines and turned it into a Thor movie. That was one of the things I was going to ask about, because obviously that didn't need to be in the Ragnarok storyline. Right. But it, they seem to fold that into it. In the Planet Hulk storyline, is Thor in that? Is that the Thor... Not not even a little. Not even a little. Okay. So they basically... So Thor and Hulk don't face off in that gladiatorial combat. That's something that was invented for this movie. Now I'm getting myself mixed up a little bit because I can't remember if it was in the books or not because I've, I've watched... There's a, an animated version of it that does have Beta Ray Bill in it. But now I can't remember... If that was in the books or not. Well, it definitely wasn't a part of the Ragnarok storyline. Right. No. Yeah. Yeah. And Planet Hulk, basically, Hulk gets knocked out and basically strapped down into a rocket ship and spend in, sent into space. The recording that tells him that, you know, Iron Man, uh, Fan, Mr. Fantastic, et cetera, et cetera, kind of all got together and decided he's just too dangerous to have on Earth. So they send him out in space. He lands on a planet that's a gladiatorial planet run by a, a king that is unjust basically i'm gonna really short and summarize it he becomes a gladiator uh, he starts winning they find out that he's actually the savior of the planet kind of leads a revolution against the king he actually gets married at one point and has a kid as part of it and then she is killed and he's enraged and then he kind of finds his way back to earth super angry uh, as the world breaker and starts trying to get his revenge on the people that sent him out. Briefly. That's, that's a very brief explanation. Which I guess they probably just didn't have... I don't know if they just didn't have the time or what to... They basically used part of Ragnarok to bring Hulk back in. Right. Because they made him disappear for a bit. And had, him, had, had a way to bring him back. And they needed a reason for Thor to be in space. Yeah, I guess that's true too. But again, it also goes back to one of the things I had mentioned before when they made that movie... They said, yeah, we don't really, I mean, they didn't completely ignore the source material, but it's like they were, they made the movie that they wanted to make and they weren't really concerned about completely. I mean, they obviously adapted some elements from the comics and the stories into the movie. It wasn't a complete departure, but yeah. they were not concerned with being faithful to the comics um, depiction of Ragnarok. Right. It worked. And they were able to bring in the Game Master. Yes. Which I guess I, I did not know this, but he's the brother of the Collector? Yep. I don't know if they actually say that in the movies. I, for some reason, when I was coming across the comic research material, I stumbled across that. Well, if you notice, they've got similar faces. They have similar faces and, I guess, similarly weird personalities, right. but I didn't, I didn't know. I don't know if it was ever mentioned and in there, the movie. And there's other brothers they can explore, too. 
So this was like, Thor Ragnarok was a solid movie, and I, I would say it's probably the best standalone Thor movie. I really enjoyed it. But it was also interesting to me, it's like, despite the the theme of the movie, the impending doom of Asgard, mm-hmm. here was another thing where it's just like, you know, if you wanted to make like a dark, dramatic thriller, here was another opportunity to do so based on what was basically happening in this movie. But instead, it's basically, it has a comedic tone and it's actually the most comedic treatment of the Thor character, especially pivoting to shifting from the comedy happening around him to Thor himself being a comedic character and actually making jokes. Right. Yeah, that's why I kind of say, I mean, it's, it is regarded as the best movie. I, I'd never really say it's the best Thor movie because I think it just could have been so much better of a movie, but it is definitely the most entertaining movie, and that's why I say it that way. Yeah, I agree. Like, for me, in my notes, I had written down that it's probably the best example. And again, I have, this is theoretical in terms of the comic book knowledge for me, but for me, it's like this may be the best example of a different approach that Marvel took in their live-action movies with the Thor character. Because again, as I said, this could have been a dark, dramatic thriller, and I think could have been a really awesome movie if they went in that direction with it. But again, it's still largely an action comedy. There are obviously dramatic elements to it. You know, the confrontations with Hela are obviously dramatic and the way that she decimates and murders people. I mean, so it's not like the movie is just like slapstick comedy. There are dramatic elements to it. Mm-hmm. But they could have leaned into that and made that whole movie be about that. And I don't know. I, on one hand, I, I might have actually wanted to spend a little bit more time with the Hela character in that part of the movie. The whole sort of side trip to bring the Hulk and then go back and get in was a good part of the movie. And it was entertaining. But it kind of was takes us away from the core Ragnarok story, which maybe might have been more interesting if they had spent more time on it. Yeah, like I say, it could have been better. It could have been a lot more interesting. They could have done a lot of different things with it. I will say, just kind of a side note, I don't know if it was just me, but man, Hela was hot in that movie. Yeah, she. it, it was a very interesting character, and it was very well portrayed. That's what I was saying. I, not so much from the, the hotness, but <laughs> I, I, I found a character... Very interesting. Knowing nothing, practically nothing of it from comic books, I would have liked to have spent more time with her. Yeah, it would have been interesting to see what they really intended for that character since that character is a mixture of two other characters. Could have been interesting. Yeah, and if we could have spent a little bit more time on Asgard and, and with the Asgardian storylines than you know, dropping off to you know the Game Master and, and the Planet Hulk storyline that gets folded into the movie. I will also say, too, though, I got... I was really upset about what they did with Scourge in, in that movie and how they made him. Was that a big departure? I mean, that was Carl Urban's character right. in the movie. I know he comes from the comics. Was that a big oh, departure from that huge character in the comics? departure. Yeah. Yeah, that character is like, he's always super serious. Like, he's almost like the Asgardian assassin. I mean, he's a hunter, tracker, and basically he's used as like the brute force enforcer for uh, Enchantress. Which, again, that movie, what they did with that movie, Hela could have easily just been Enchantress in that movie. They could have just made her Enchantress, who's 
but I guess she's magic as well. So they've been like, oh, and now it's just like a female Loki, which probably why they went the route they did. But basically, she has kind of like almost like a magical enchantment over uh, Scourge. And, you know, he basically does her bidding all the time. But, yeah, him with his axe, I mean, he, he can go toe-to-toe with Thor. And they just kind of made him a big joke in that movie. Yeah, they did. They had him uh, a big joke, and they had him a lot of comedic material from him when we first meet him at the movie where he's taken over the Bifrost. Yeah. So, yeah, that, that when we first meet him, he's definitely very comedic. So, yeah, I mean, I, I had nothing to base it on in terms of the character from the comics. I knew nothing about it. But the the characters that we meet that help Thor out on what are the characters that he fights with that calls him New Doug? Oh, Korg. Yeah, Korg. Isn't it? Those characters are from the comics too, right? Those are from the from uh, Planet Hulk. Yeah, Meek and Meek and Korg, which again, those characters very drastically different in this movie than in the books. They're also comedic. Yeah, characters. Yeah, and in the books, they're they're not at all. They're they're very very different. But it works in this movie. And we already talked about the, this was the movie I had alluded to earlier about the, the hammer getting destroyed. And then we had the scene where he kind of spirit walks with Odin and he is told that the hammer was never the source, true source of your power. It was only helping you focus it. That was the whole, I mean, again, it was done in a comedic way, but the whole idea of him lamenting the loss of his hammer and Odin going, are you the god of hammers? Yeah, yeah. <laughs> Yeah, there's a lot of good things about that movie, and, and that's why it's such a good movie to, to most people and what makes it so entertaining. There's so much good to it. It's just nitpicky, the little things that bother me a little bit that, to me, make it not a great movie, but it's a good movie. Yeah, and the Doctor Strange stuff on Earth is also a good interaction, too, yeah. so that was also funny, and that, that worked well. Again, going back to the whole character development thing here, there seemed like there were more opportunities for... There just wasn't a lot of time for it, but a lot of dark and disturbing things happen mm-hmm. to Thor in this movie, too. I mean, his father's death, the destruction of Asgard, and they don't really seem to hit him very much emotionally, but it might be, again, the fact that that character, Dev, is just left mainly for dude Thor and his depression and PTSD in the Avengers Endgame movie. Well, not so much that even. I mean, you got to talk about, you talked about a little bit earlier about uh, an Infinity War when he's talking to Rocket and he's about to break down, you know, as he stops to think about all that stuff. So I think that kind of, it, it may have been done retroactively, but that in itself kind of explains that character and why he doesn't react to that stuff. Because he, if he dwells on it, he's just going to break down, but he just keeps moving forward anyway. Uh, yeah, and that's what I was going to say. The people who were criticizing that were maybe expecting a scene like that brief scene in Infinity War, which is where I was going to go next, yeah. that talked a bit more about that, seeing that. And I think that that's where they finally, I think that's where people finally got what they were, I don't know, even expecting to have seen in the previous movies of, of Thor's acknowledgement of, of, of what had been happening to him and all of the things that, uh, all of the loss uh, and tragedy that had befallen him and his new responsibility for protecting what's left of the people of Asgard. Yeah, I, I guess may- maybe some of that, too, just kind of comes from my knowledge of the character where, you know, something really heavy like that happens. He just kind of hangs his head a little bit and that's it. You know, he, he may talk about it a little bit, but it, he's not like, going to sit there and break down and cry about it. He just kind of hangs his head, internalizes it and moves forward. 
like the very healthy individual that he is, and I strive to be. That is what you're supposed to do with that, right? That is what you're supposed to do with that emotion, right? Something really heavy and dark happens, and you just internalize it and forget about it? Oh, yes. You just bottle it up and push it down and ignore it. Right. And then uh, you just, uh, you know, explode later and kill everybody. Right. I find that's (laughs) the best way to handle everything. (laughs) So you got the exact right message. Maybe that's exactly the message that they were trying to show to the the audience there, which is also the often criticized um, old school masculinity that men aren't supposed to show emotion and that, that bottling it up and ignoring it is the right way to deal with it. But again, it comes back around when you've, it's one of those weird things. It's like when you look at any of the individual movies in the Marvel Cinematic Universe, you can make these criticisms, but if you take a step back and view the whole thing collectively, at least within the phases of the MCU, and you take a look at Thor and Infinity War and Endgame, then I think a lot of those arguments just fall apart or go away. Because that emotional depth, that reaction, that reality of of everything that happened affecting him does come back around. It just doesn't happen until the Infinity Saga begins. And I think that's when people were just, as the movies were coming out, maybe wanted to see that happen earlier. But there's a lot of stuff happening in the MCU, not just with Thor, but with other characters as well. And eventually, again, by the time we get through to the end of Endgame, a lot of the stuff that people were saying they wanted to see does happen. It just doesn't maybe happen at the individual movie level like they wanted to see it happen. Right. Which, in fairness, again, we're talking about a lot of movies spread across over a decade of of filmmaking. So there's a lot of stuff, a lot of... Again, not to go off on a tangent here, but the Marvel Cinematic Universe deserves a lot of credit for what it was able to achieve through the events of Endgame and the fact that it was, I'm not saying all of those movies were awesome or that all of the stories were awesome, but it's still pretty, a pretty amazing accomplishment, but you have to really take a step back and take it all in as a whole. Right. Yeah. There's a large vision with a, just a large encompassing umbrella over everything that you got to kind of take in. And I don't know if that's all on Kevin Feige or, or what, but there definitely was uh, a vision and it was executed well. Agreed. So next up was Avengers, uh, Avengers Infinity War. And here again, once again, due to the movies, you know, mostly ensemble cast, Thor, he doesn't, again, doesn't fade into the background, but he's just one of many characters. So there are individual scenes like the rocket scene that I just, that we've referred to a couple of times where we do get to see Thor really deal with the emotional weight of everything that has happened to him. But again, obviously there's a lot happening into the, in the movie and it's also a fast paced movie because a lot of stuff is happening. Yeah. But we do see, I think the beginning of the completion of the, the, the character development arc for Thor that starts to come to much more of a, both dramatic and comedic head in Endgame. But before jumping ahead, was there anything specific about, Thor and Infinity War that you wanted to touch on? Well, that is, that's the movie with my favorite Thor line in all of the series. <laughs> and to me, though, the reason it's my favorite is not only is it just, it's a quick line that's actually incredibly insightful, but it also kind of shows, even in the books, Thor's, he, he's serious, and he can say something that is funny without, try, like, it's not comedic, it's just funny. So in that one, it's uh, he's saying that they're going to go to, what is it, Nividir? 
I can't remember how to pronounce the, the planet. And I think it's Starlord goes, you made that up. And he's like, all words are made up. Or no, he says, that's a made up word. And then he replies, all words are made up. And that, that just right there is like, just shows a guy that's been around for a thousand years. What do you say? 1500 years in the movies is what you said. Yeah. That, in that movie, he says, he tells Rocket that he's 1500 years old. Yeah. So like, you got to think about it. He's seen civilizations and languages rise and fall. So, you know, he's like, yeah, all, all, all words are made up. He's seen it happen. I don't know. Maybe I read into it more than anybody, even more than they intended. But I just really love that line. Well, it's a funny line, but again, it's it's also in, it's also probably more indicative of the humor that's in most of the Marvel Cinematic Universe. They go by fast. Yeah, yeah. Like, it, I mean, the movies are funny not because they like break out of the action and others and drama and stuff and just go off on comedy riffs. They just have quick jokes. Right. Right. And stuff like and even stuff like that, which is not technically a joke. It's just funny. Right. And that's to me, again, that's the that's the Thor character. You know, he he's not funny, but he says funny things sometimes. Yes, I agree. It's hard not to think of Infinity War and, and Endgame collectively. Yeah. But obviously at the end of in Infinity War, you know, and his, I guess, where it breaks a bit from the comics as well. Doesn't the. Doesn't he create Stormbreaker, which isn't that technically Beta Ray Bill's weapon? Yeah. Well, so in... Nah, nah, nah. Depends on which canon. Uh, there's the Ultimates universe where he does wield Stormbreaker like that. I don't remember if it's called Stormbreaker in that. It, it is called Stormbreaker. I, just, I did just look it up. It is called Stormbreaker in the movie. Oh, yeah, in the movie it is. I'm talking about in the Ultimate universe. Oh, 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 I'm, I'm sorry. I thought you were talking about wh whether or not Stormbreaker was the name of B Beta Ray Bill's weapon. Oh, yeah, I, yeah, it is. It is. Uh, my, my question is whether or not, because in the Ultimate Universe, which is, okay, so the main Marvel Universe is Marvel 616, and the Ultimate Universe, I can't remember which what the number of that one is, but it's a different universe with the characters are just slightly different. And in that one... Thor has a hammer that's kind of a axe hammer thing, like in the movie. I don't remember if it's called Stormbreaker or not. I didn't really read a whole lot of the Ultimates universe, but that also could come into why the characters a little bit different because they have said that a lot of what they're pulling into the movies is from the Ultimates universe, which is a whole nother. It's kind of a uh, they wanted to kind of reset and be able to tell new stories with a different without having all the background, so they created the Ultimate universe. That makes sense. The other sort of, I guess, comedic type of thing that starts with the Infinity War is Thor and the Guardians of the Galaxy. Yeah. And that's, again, we had alluded to their, the scene with Rocket, but I think that's, and even at the end of Endgame, he ends up going off with them. I don't know if in the comics, is does he have a, anything to do with the Guardians of the Galaxy? Um, I mean, they all intertwine. They all work, end up working together at some point or another. I don't remember if he was ever part. I never really read much of the Guardians of the Galaxy, so I don't remember if he was ever technically a part of it or not. But yeah, they they interact. So since we're focusing on on Thor, let's jump ahead. So I mean, he gets Stormbreaker, and in the the battle at the end of Infinity War, he almost kills Thanos, who chastises him for not going for the head, which he does in Endgame, uh, and end up, you know, again, Infinity War, Thanos snap happens, and everyone goes away, half of everyone goes away, blah, 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 Endgame. 
So at the beginning of Endgame, they do go track down and kill Thanos, and in that case, Thor decapitates Thanos. But it's too late. The Infinity Stones have been destroyed, and then we get Dude Thor. <laughs> Which is obviously both, it's both the most comedic and also most dramatic depiction of the Thor character in the MCU so far. Yeah, uh, I'm still not really sure how to react to it because they kind of turn PTSD into a joke. And I'm not really sure how to respond to that. Kind of a weird combination of they show him as a overweight, obese alcoholic suffering from severe PTSD and depression, but then kind of make it a joke. Yeah, I mean, it works well for the movie, but if you stop and think about it, yeah, I just not really sure how to how to how to take that. I'm I'm glad he kind of snaps out of it at the end of it. Yes, it is it is nice to see that he snapped out of it. So yeah, it's weird. Again, it's it's one of those things where it's like again, we call him Dude Thor because he looks like the Big Lebowski basically. Right. When they go to meet him that first time at New Asgard, so yeah, it's a bit. It's probably played up a little bit too much for comedic effect, but in terms of the minus the jokes and the making fun of it, it's probably a pretty decent dramatic turn for Chris Hemsworth in terms of you do feel that that guy's got yeah PTSD and depression. Oh yeah, he he did a really good job with what was given to him in that, and, and I I really like the scene with him and his mother. Uh, I think that was beautiful. Yes, and again, that's what I was alluding to earlier. I think the emotion that people wanted to see him deal with about the death of his mother when they go back to the dark world, when they do the time traveling thing, and he has an extra scene with his mother, that is a very good, a very strong emotional scene. Yeah, and I also really like, uh, you know, when you get, they're almost to the big fight scene, and he's just standing there, and uh, Cap and Iron Man walk up, and like, what's he doing? Just sitting there, and you know, he's like, you know, this is probably a trap. Like, yeah, we know. He's like, all right, as long as we're on the same page. Then he goes all Uber Thor with both hammers. That was awesome. That was awesome. Uh, another big thing, actually, that I really enjoy, and it's an- another one of those little side jokes in that movie. So in the previous movie, uh, he kept calling Rocket Rabbit. And then in this movie, there's a part where Rocket's running away from Asgardian guards, and they're yelling, get that rabbit. It's just one of those little throwaway lines that I just find absolutely hilarious that a lot of people probably missed. Yeah, it's stuff like that again. Those are the humorous, those are the the funny aspects of the MCU that I really enjoy. And most of the movies, probably the Ant-Man movies are probably the only exception where they don't really go directly at comedy most of the time when they're funny. Right. But in those movies, it's more background type of stuff like that. But again, it's it's funny if you catch it, but it's okay if you miss it. But it is a really, it is really funny, a good funny callback. I mean, there's a, there's a lot of really, I mean, obviously with the nature of the story of Endgame, mm-hmm. there's a lot of callbacks. That's basically the whole framework of the plot. Right. But yeah, there's a lot of good comedic stuff uh, all throughout uh, Endgame. But I'll, I'll stay focused on just Thor. But yeah, that part was funny. Did you have any issues with the abdication of King of New Asgard and him at the end of the movie going off with the Guardians of the Galaxy and sort of not taking on the responsibility for looking after his people? No, because I kind of mentioned before, he, he, he did that in the books. It was just he gave it to Balder instead of Valkyrie, 
Which actually, and that's that's another thing, is the Valkyrie in these movies is a different Valkyrie than is in the books. A completely different character. Yeah, the 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 Valkyrie in the books is Brunhild, uh, and actually they I was almost upset about it, but then they picked they showed her so. In the flashback, she's the one who sacrifices herself for Tessa Thompson's character. Yeah, yeah. In the flashback, you see her the the one uh, with the long blonde hair. That's Brunhild, and that's and that's back in Ragnarok that they yep. show. Yep. Like when Loki grabs her head and says, "Oh, that must have been a painful memory." Yeah. And we see the flashback of the Valkyries battle with Hela. Yep. But then they also, I mean, in the books there have been, I believe, multiple Valkyries. I mean, Valkyries is kind of a race or like a group of people, so. You can't really be too upset that they used a different Valkyrie than the one we're used to. Yeah, she's a Valkyrie, right. not the Valkyrie. Correct. I don't know. If, does she actually have a name, or is she just called Valkyrie? Um, Angry Girl? <laughs> That's what Hulk calls her. <laughs> <laughs> I don't know. I don't know that they ever really give her a name. Again, I don't have the comic book background. I did like her character, though, in both Ragnarok and... yeah. Endgame. That, and again, that's why I never really, never actually got upset about it because they did a very good job uh, with that character. Yeah, she was conspicuously absent from Infinity War. Yep. As was, uh, and not just Infinity War, but even going back to Ragnarok, uh, Lady Sif also disappears. <laughs> yeah, that really upset me too, actually. I think that was more about the actress's availability, but I mean, they had, they had replaced Asgardians before. Right. Uh, we were talked about Zachary Levi stepping in, but yeah, Lady Siftus just goes poof. We don't like, not even like an off-screen death or something. She just disappears from the story. Right. Yeah, uh, I think Valkyrie disappeared though in Infinity War because she was on the other ship. Yeah, that was the part that confused me until the second or third viewing because, like, at one point in Infinity War, Thor says, "Yeah, that Thanos killed half my people because that's mm-hmm. Thanos's thing." But it's like, well, we saw the ship blow up. So where are the other half of the people? So the other ship and Valkyrie must have been on it. And that's why she wasn't there. And that's where the other Asgardians come from. Yeah, they pulled a Chewbacca on us. Yes, they did pull a Chewbacca on us. But yeah, so that might be the off-screen explanation for where Valkyrie and the other half of the Asgardians were. Right. Which I believe, I, I'm sure coming up, they're probably going to do the whole as rebuilding Asgard on Earth in Oklahoma thing. Yeah, I mean, again, I have no idea other than Jane Foster becoming Thor in Love and Thunder. I have no idea what else they're going to be doing in that movie. But you got to imagine that that's got to be part of it. Probably. If not the next one, then the one after that. Who knows? Before that, is Thor going to be in the next Guardians of the Galaxy movie? Uh, Before I've, Love and Thunder? I did hear a rumor about a thing, but I don't want to perpetuate rumors. And I don't really want to know. Because that's kind of where we leave the character at the end of Endgame. Right. Is he's, he leaves with the Guardians of the Galaxy. Well, actually, that kind of goes back to something you asked earlier about Thor being part of it. Now I remember, yeah, as Guardians of the Galaxy. Yeah, there was a run called that. I know that Love and Thunder doesn't come out until 2021, but I didn't know if there was a Guardians of the Galaxy movie that would be out before. I think the Thor one's going to come out first because James Gunn is finishing Suicide Squad before doing our Guardians of the Galaxy, I think. Ah, okay. So let's wrap this up and bring this down to a conclusion. So if we set up the top, Thor is one of your favorite characters from the comics. And you really do like the Thor character in the Marvel Cinematic Universe, but 
you need to keep them separate in your mind, you said, because if you think too much about it, you start to not like the cinematic four. Is that correct? Yeah. Yep. Yep. That's exactly it. You said everything I was going to say for me. Okay. Excellent. And as at the time of this recording, as we've alluded to next, I mean, the last time we've seen Thor on screen as, as so far was Avengers Endgame. And we believe that Thor Love and Thunder is the next time we're going to see the character. Are there other things that you'd like to see in the future for the Thor character from the comic books that you would like to see happen? I would actually really like to see the Fear Itself storyline. I think that that could actually play into cinematic pretty well. The idea of that is Odin's brother comes back and is trying to uh, take over everything and basically sends hammers down to Earth and gives gives people incredible power with those magical hammers. So like Juggernaut gets one and like some like Absorbing Man gets one, et cetera, et cetera. And they like each one can take Thor by themselves. And then there's like five or seven of them. And so they kind of take over. And yeah, there's just a lot of really interesting story there that I think could really translate into a, a full-blown Avengers series that all revolves around Thor. Interesting. Cool. Any other final thoughts? I don't think so. I think, I mean, the movies, they're doing a good job with the movies. It's a good character. There's a lot they can explore. I like that they're he's going off there with the Guardians of the Galaxy because that opens up the universe a little bit more and he can kind of play around with possibly meeting up with larger characters like Silver Surfer and finding Beta Ray Bill and stuff like that. I think I'm excited to see where they go. Yeah, from what little I know of Beta Ray Bill from the animation, I would really like to see, a, I don't know what it, where it would be, but a movie where Thor and Beta Ray Bill together would be an interesting movie. Yeah. I mean, just the whole, it, it could be a big part of just the movie in general, or a movie could just be the interaction of them finding each other. It's uh, really interesting. And I don't know if he'll show up, if Thor will show up on the Loki series or not. Maybe we'll see him there. Who knows? Maybe we'll find, see a younger Thor. That young and arrogant one again. Always a possibility. All right. Well, I think that about wraps up our discussion of Thor. All right. Thanks for laying down the hammer. (laughs) Thank you for listening to Fanboy and the Hater. We really appreciate it and would love to hear your feedback. Give us a rating. Write a review. Reach out to us on Twitter at Fanboy and Hater. Email us at thefanboyandthehater at gmail.com. You can find all of our episodes on our website, fanboyandhater.podbean.com. That's P-O-D-B-E-A-N. Where you can download the free Podbean mobile app for Android and iOS. You can also find us on all major podcast platforms, including Apple Podcasts, Google Podcasts, Stitcher, Spotify, iHeartRadio, and many more. Once again, thanks for listening to The Fanboy and the Hater.